Well, good morning. Uh, I just couldn't help but think as we're singing that lyric that there's no comparison. Nothing compares to the power of the name of Jesus. And I just couldn't help but think the reality of our day-to-day existence is that there's a million things trying desperately to compare themselves and to convince us that they're better. And if we have moments where our suffering or our doubts or our struggles or our regrets ever cause us to question this, let me just tell you this morning, there's no power on planet Earth like the power of the name of Jesus. And when we come together and sing these songs, it's supposed to fuel our faith that there's nothing better than him. We're not settling for second best when we are uh, placing our full allegiance and a full priority in the name of Jesus. We're, we're giving away second best and telling it to, to stay where it belongs. And we believe there's nothing better than him. It's the name of Jesus. Amen? And I think what the culture around us is desperate to see is some ordinary people who are extraordinarily convinced that there's nothing better than Jesus. There's a couple, uh, three different actually, little pockets of research uh, articles that I've seen recently that were unrelated by three different organizations and shared by uh, three different agencies, but three different interesting pieces of information that kind of, I think, connect with each other. The, the first one is that just recently, I think the last three weeks, maybe two weeks ago, the American Bible Society released some updated research about Americans' interaction with God's Word based on our own surveys, right? I've always been surprised by a lot of those surveys because it shows like 86% of Americans believe the Bible. And I'm like, really though? No? But anyways, um, we say that we believe the Bible. So I guess that's good enough. They showed, or the research showed rather, that in the last 12 months, there's been a profound decline among Americans' interaction with this book. Somewhere around 26 million Americans said that in the last 12 months, they've either stopped or lessened their interactions with God's Word. It's a lot of people. At the same time, some different research that came out showed that there's been an increase, a dramatic increase in the last year of Americans who believe in astrology. So we are lessening our faith in this book, but increasing our faith in the stars, which is just like us, right? We're always infatuated with stars. A third piece of information that I found interesting is that uh, a survey done, uh, done among Generation Z said that when they are looking for support or insight, they turn to fill in the blank. Not surprisingly, church, religion, Jesus didn't make the top ten. Number one was their favorite musician. <laughs> when Post Malone is your guru... Number one was musicians. Number two was influencers, which horrifyingly means influencers are actually influencing. It's the worst news of the day. 
And then number three was comedians. <laughs> Which I gotta be honest, there's some comedians who've put out some stuff lately that is a great, anyways, never mind. Um, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. So, what Gen Z described as their source of information is a different kind of star. Right? Musicians and influencers and artists and comedians, uh, not stars in the sky, stars on a stage. Because the reality is if we reject the influence of God's word, we're going to seek after something else to fill its void. We're going to look for another source of information. And and what we're going to see is I believe true transformation comes when our source is none other than the word of the Lord. So grab your Bible this morning, if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you today. Please keep that. Happy first Sunday of June. Um, you can keep that. But we are going to invite you to join with us. Uh, we always hold up our Bibles and say a creed together before we dive into this book. And if that's where you're at today, then we invite you hold it up in the air and join with us as we declare this together. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We've been working through the book of Acts together for the last several months. And what we're going to look at uh, this morning is mostly a spillover from last week, if you weren't here last week or weren't joining with us last week, you can go uh, go to the YouTube channel, watch that from last week, whatever. Uh, but last week we talked about the first time that the gospel uh, ever came to non-Jewish people. They received the word of Jesus. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. They were born again. This incredible thing that eventually would result in the gospel Getting to our great, great, lots of great, some of us not as many great, grandparents, right? This this incredible transition in the gospel, which I think, because I'm really glad somebody told me about Jesus, I think it's really good news. I'm not Jewish. I've never done one of those genealogy studies, send off your blood in the mail things, but I don't know if we have any Jewish family members. I don't know. I'm really glad... That the news came that the Messiah laid down his life for the whole world, for everybody. That's really good news. Apparently, there's a whole bunch of Jewish people in the room today. You're just not that moved by this. I'm really glad salvation is available to me. Listen, I'm feeding selfishness here. We should really be, I'm not talking about other people's need. It's yours. Right? We get Jesus. Woohoo indeed. <laughs> Got one woohoo. No, there's another one. That was a really high pitched woohoo. Chapter 11, verse number one. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So this is good news, right? Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, which is such a weird phrase. Can we just... 
I'm not RSVPing. Okay. That's just another name for the, for the Jewish people. What would that invitation look like? Okay, so <laughs> the circumcision party, I'm not woohooing that one, criticized him. Okay, so circle back. I just wish it said the Jewish people. Okay, so the gospel has reached the rest of humankind, and the leaders criticized. How many of you know that sometimes you can get criticized for doing the right thing? You can do the best you know with the information you have available and still get criticized. Which is really good to know that being criticized doesn't mean that the right thing wasn't the right thing. It's okay. As the people of God, if we don't have thick enough skin to be criticized and still stay faithful, we are not going to endure in this climate. So the gospel, in obedience to the words of Jesus, is proclaimed to the rest of humankind and they criticize. The, the word criticized here in the, in the original language literally means to separate, like to divide, like box A and box B, which is literally what they had done with humankind. You were either Jewish, that's clearly box A, because it comes first, and everybody else is in box like Z. They had created a separation, and so they criticize him. And here's why they criticize him, verse 3. They said, you went... To uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's, it's hard for us to fully understand the significance in this culture. To eat a meal with someone was a level of intimacy in this culture at this time. It was, it was like becoming one with a person. To eat a meal with them was this intimate, personal thing. And the way that they ate a meal at this time helps us understand why the the, the setting was not seated at a table, despite the picture of the Last Supper where they're all seated at a nice, big, long table on one side of the table. That's not what a meal looked like. It was more like a big coffee table, only a little shorter, that you would lay on pillows. You would recline. You would do the George Costanza on the red couch. Any sign of fan? Somebody just saw the whitey tighties right there. You'd be reclined on the ground... And then there were no utensils. You just ate with your hands. Like the way we train our children not to eat is how kings and governors and queens would eat. And, and the, the staple of the meal was bread. And so you would all have the same main pieces of bread that you would break pieces off and you would dip it into soups and sauces and slurp it in your mouth. This Messy. And, and here's the thing. Based on the size of bread that you broke off, it was completely acceptable that you would double dip. Here's the thing. There's two kinds of people in the world, not Jews and Gentiles. There's the double dippers. And then there's the people who won't take a sip of water after their own mother. And then they marry each other. Right? I'm, I'm married to one of those, like, she won't drink after her kids. I'm like, you gave birth to them. And I've traveled enough in the third world that I'm like, I don't care. If my white blood cells ain't working now, I'd be dead. So, like, whatever, dude. It, it, we were at dinner just the other night, and Garrett double-dipped into 
uh, a sauce with his grandmother, and Maurice was horrified. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're related. Like, I think. Anyways. So this idea of reclining was a very intimate setting. And so it's not just that, oh, you had a meal with somebody. You, you met at the restaurant and had a meal, and then you walked away. It wasn't a business lunch. Like, you went into fellowship with Gentiles. And Skip Heitzig said they basically were saying, ooh, Peter, you have Gentile cooties. Right? Where's all those cleaning supplies we bought when COVID started? Um, verse number four. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. We won't read the next uh, several verses because it retells everything that we talked about last week about Cornelius's vision and then Peter's vision. And then he shows up and shares the gospel and Cornelius receives Jesus, this Gentile leader and all of his friends and family and household are like, we believe in Jesus and they're born again and they receive the Holy Spirit and they're baptized. But he rewrites that story in detail, which is really interesting. Luke Writing this historical account is not going to waste his words. To be clear, I don't think there's any word in this word that is a wasted word. But to retell a story, you understand he didn't copy and paste, right? He didn't right click, drag and drop to the next page. This had to be written again on parchment, which was extremely expensive and rare, difficult to come by. And he rewrites the detail. Uh, one historian said that they believe that the parchment, the scroll, for the book of Acts would have been 35 feet long. So if you're like me, and that means nothing, because I'm not a very handy guy. I don't even know where a tape measure would be in my house. So, but I measured this this morning. So that's from about here. Oh, sorry, I didn't warn Justin. Hey, Justin, I'm going to walk over here. All right, so that's from like right here. There's Acts chapter 1, right? The whole way, wait for it, to about right here. That's the book of Acts. So he's not writing something twice for no reason. It's almost like God really wants to wake up his people that the love of God is for the whole world. Listen closely to this story. Retell this story because this story is supposed to be our mantra. It's supposed to be our destiny and our legacy that God loves every person who's ever taken a breath. That his hope and his saving grace is for every person everywhere. It's almost like he wanted to repeat that. It's almost like he wanted to make sure that we got it. So we pick back up after the, after the retelling about these visions and, and how he's talking to them. And then here's, here's the heart of what I want us to see today. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Again, you see that unity, right? And then here's the, here's the magic words. Here's the secret sauce. You ready? And I remembered the word of the Lord. Did you get it? No? Okay, let's park there for a minute. All of us have walked into the moment that we're in today with religious 
blind spots. All of us. If you grew up in church, you've got religious blind spots based on whatever brand of the church you grew up in. And if you did not grow up in church, you grew up with blind spots based on the fact that you didn't grow up in church. And here's the thing about blind spots. We're blind to them. And the Holy Spirit, the the lifelong work of the Holy Spirit for our duration as followers of Jesus is removing one blind spot at a time and setting us free from them. But here's the common denominator. Whatever our blind spots might look like and however we might have come by them or whatever, here's what recalibrates all of our blind spots. The word of the Lord. Every idea that we have about our faith and how to interact with God and where salvation comes from and who's supposed to do what and where, all of that's supposed to be reoriented by the word of the Lord. All of us need cataract surgery on the daily from the word of the Lord. And and he's telling this story and he's like, time out. This isn't what I'm up to. This isn't what I'm doing. I remembered this is God's word. This was God's word. He said, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. P.S. And that's what I watched happen. Verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? That I could stand in God's way. Such an awesome answer. What a beautiful thing to, to be in a place where if you're criticized, you can say, I think if you're unhappy, you're unhappy with God. Hashtag mic drop. Like, wow. Verse 18. When they heard these things, They fell silent. Whenever our blind spots, especially blind spots of prejudice, are confronted by the word of the Lord, the best response in that moment is to be silent. To allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Because I don't know how much space happened between the silence and what came next, but look what the Holy Spirit did to those critical hearts. And they glorified God. (laughs) They glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thank you, Jesus. They glorified God. They took the time to listen to the word of God. They took the time to listen to the Holy Spirit because they remembered the word of the Lord. And by the way, if they would have remembered... I mean this respectfully, the very Jewish word of the Lord, right? Because the most Jewish thing you could call yourself is the son of Abraham, right? And here's the thing about God's covenant with Father Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God gives the covenant promise that you're going to have a multitude of your offspring that's going to be uncountable. But then he says this. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. If we go back to the original most Jewish promise there could be, it is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, 
everybody kind of promise that the blessings of God that would come through the Jewish Messiah are for everyone. And the reason that we participate as a church body in global missions, the reason we give away money that we could really use on a facility that's as used as hard as ours is, we, we want the gospel to go to every person. The reason we give every month to global vision missions and, and the reason that we give to local vision missions is because we also believe that our neighbors who don't know Jesus are worthy of hearing the name of Jesus just because they exist. They don't have to do anything or earn anything just because they're them. We want them to hear about Jesus. When we remember the word of the Lord, it reorients our whole view of life and our whole view of everybody in the whole world. Verse number 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that we talked about several weeks ago that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And we're going to park here in Antioch for most of this morning. And and most of those who traveled, look what it says. They were speaking the word to no one except Jews, verse 20. But all of history changes here in verse number 20. There were some of them. Who? I don't know. What were their names? I don't know. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, that's Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And for the first time in human history, the church intentionally sent the gospel to Gentile men and women. For the first time. That's not the first time that the gospel went to someone who wasn't purely Jewish because we know that Philip, uh, we looked at that in chapter 8, he went and preached to the Samaritans, but they were half Jewish, right? And then last week we talked about Peter going and giving the gospel to Cornelius, but the angel made him do it, right? Not the devil made him do it, the angel made him do it. This time, freely of their own accord, they're taking the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time ever. All of history changes here. It's almost like they all remembered the word of the Lord. Go make disciples of all peoples. When we remember the word of the Lord, it orients our vision. I I love the fact that this pivotal, incredible moment doesn't have anybody's name listed. Just these unsung heroes who, apart from their faithfulness, from a human perspective, we never would have heard that Jesus died for us. We don't know their names. Because our family lineage is full of faithful men and women who never made a name for themselves. They were just faithful to make much of Jesus in their generation. And the reason I think that's so powerful is because of what we said at the beginning. We want the star. (laughs) And yet Jesus changes the world with the people who are willing to just serve him in the shadows. Loving one person at a time, regardless of where they're from or what they look like, just to love people towards Jesus. Isn't that awesome? All of history changes. From who? I don't know. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. It makes sense that they would send him. Remember, we met Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. 
has the nickname the son of encouragement. He sold a piece of property and gave all of the proceeds of the sale to help those who were hurting, to advance the cause of Jesus. He shows up again in Acts chapter 9 when the lead assassin against the church encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And they're like, it's a trap. We don't believe this. He's here as a spy. And it's Barnabas who goes with Saul and says, no, I believe this dude is a genuine follower of Jesus. He goes and mediates between the leaders and this brand new convert. And then when Saul's life is threatened, he's the one who takes him down to Caesarea and puts him on a ship back to his home in Tarsus. He's, he's this unifier. He's this behind the scenes servant. So it makes total sense that they'd be like, hey, let's send Barnabas to go check out what in the world is going on. In Antioch, I love this verse, verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. That's what happens when we see lives being changed. It's better than anything else in the whole world. The greatest thing in the whole world is watching a life changed by the grace of Jesus. As parents, we rejoice in that when we see that with our kids. As friends, when we see our friends set free in Jesus, it's the greatest thing in the world. He was glad. He exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. Good old Barnabas. Every time they talk about this guy, they're like, he was such a good guy. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. This move of God among non-Jewish people is just exploding in Antioch. This is amazing. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This is really cool. He's like, wait a second. The gospel's now advancing among the Greek culture. Well, I know a guy who's a citizen of Rome. He's fluent in Greek. He's well-educated and he's Jewish and he's a follower of Jesus. He would be perfect for this. He goes looking for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So much is changing in this moment that that I don't think they could have possibly known. In that moment, they could have possibly known. The the city of Antioch by itself was the third most important city in the world at this time. It wasn't the third largest, but it was the, the third most important city in the whole world at this time. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, you had Antioch. And this is where the gospel starts exploding. And this is where these normal people... Start following this Jewish Messiah or Christ. And they're like, you're little Messiahans. You're little copycat Jesians. They're like, that doesn't flow either. Christians. That flows off the tongue. Let's call them Christians. Meant as this mocking thing. And then now today, politicians argue for that label. And try to convince us that they are one. And, and this incredible change happens in history that gets gospels of the whole world. Why? Because they remembered the word of the Lord. 
There's something interesting here. I don't really even know why this story is told, but it's a really cool story. Verse 27, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. It's a true story. Historians tell us that at this time in history, there was actually four significant famines. There was two in Rome. There was one in Greece. And the worst one was in Judea. It was by far the most devastating famine. It's prophesied here by this guy named Agabus. But the response is what I think is amazing. Verse 29, the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. That's awesome. People who had fled from their homes under the threat of persecution and are probably living with strangers said, I'm going to take whatever resources I can and I'm going to help people who are hurting worse than me. What a beautiful testimony. Because that's the heart of Jesus. That's the word of the Lord. That's, that's how the story advances. The last verse, I'm just going to make one more observation and then we're going to be done today. So they determined to send this relief in verse 30 says, and they did so. Sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It's been a couple years now since Saul was in Jerusalem. And the first time they were like, but this time he's coming with a love offering. Right? They're hurting, and he's coming with a sacrificial gift. But what I want you to notice, just for today's sake, is if you've been around the Bible or you've been around church, maybe you didn't notice at first, but isn't it weird that it says Barnabas and Saul instead of Saul and Barnabas? Almost everywhere else we're about to see his name, his name's going to be first. But in this moment, there's this influential servant leader named Barnabas, And it still makes sense at this time in history that his name would be first. But here's a guy who's really okay with as the Lord grows him saying, I don't need the spotlight. I don't mind being second. I don't mind being the behind the scenes guy. And he really takes on a role that sounds more like those people that we don't even know their names. I'm convinced that the hope of the world is this, that ordinary people outside of the limelight will just love people. That will just love people towards Jesus. Not the big leaders and the theologians. The reality is the bigger platform we keep making for our church leaders, the bigger the fall seems to be as we make idols out of them. Let's just have ordinary people love people. One one guy I was reading this week started talking about some people I'd never heard of before. He started talking about a guy named Claude Ryan. You ever heard of Claude Ryan? I had never heard of Claude Ryan. I have heard of Charles Lindbergh. Right? He flew Spirit of St. Louis across the Atlantic in 1927. This historic guy, they teach about him in history class. I'm sure all of our students at TCS remember learning about Charles Lindbergh. Just nod your head. It's fine. But who's ever heard of Claude Ryan? He was the mechanic. (laughs) He's the guy 
who was underneath the plane doing whatever mechanics do. I'm clueless. I don't know. Something with wrenches. And that's the thing. There's no great flight apart from the guy behind the scenes just being faithful. Right? Here's another one. And if if you've studied any kind of theological history or spiritual history, maybe you've you've read about or heard about a guy named Melanchthon. Melanchthon, it's a weird name, but man, he was an important guy in history and he never gets talked about. Because he was just a friend to another guy that you probably have heard of named Martin Luther. In 1517, October 31st, Martin Luther nails his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel in Germany. His grievances against the corruption of the organized church. And eventually out of that would be birthed the Great Reformation. The Word of God would be translated into the common language of the people and in the sovereign hand of God at the same moment the printing press is being invented so that not just it would be translated, but it could be mass-produced so that people could have access to God's Word. But it was Melanchthon who actually translated the New Testament. Not Luther. He did so under Luther's supervision. And Luther gets all the credit for it, Right? But that's how it works. Just a guy behind the scenes being faithful and serving the Lord. One more name. Grady Wilson. I'd never heard of Grady Wilson. But he was a friend behind the scenes, servant to a guy named Billy Graham. Billy Graham said, in my hardest days, I don't know if I would have made it through without the support, friendship, and prayers of Grady Wilson. He's just the guy behind the scenes. How can I help? What can I do? And the thousands and thousands of people who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham. That doesn't happen without a Grady Wilson, right? All of history changes. With the names that get forgotten. And I think there's beauty in that. Because at the end of the day, I don't care who remembers my name. I just want them to remember the name of Jesus. Because there's no other name like the name of Jesus. When we remember the word of the Lord, it it reorients our whole worldview, our whole purpose, in our view of one another. That's what happens when this book becomes our lenses through which we see life. I'll share one last story and then I'll be done. A friend of mine is a pastor um, outside of Tampa, Florida, and he told me this story a couple weeks ago about a guy named Bill. Bill is 73 years old. Bill spent most of his life owning a small roofing business. I don't know if you've done any roofing work. That's hard work. Bill's a hard guy. Skin like leather, voice like gravel. And he said, here's the thing about Bill. He said, Bill came to me and said, Pastor, I can't stand how miserable I am. I'm angry all the time. And I don't want to be this way. 
my buddy Jonathan asked him, he said, well, let me just ask you, how much time do you spend in the word of the Lord? And Bill said, Pastor, I'm a roofer, not a reader. He said, I don't like to read. I struggle reading. And Jonathan said, well, congratulations. It's 2022. You don't have to read. You can listen. Let me show you. He showed him how to download the Bible app and how to connect it to his headphones and how to listen to God's word. And at 73 years old, for the first time in his life, Bill started listening to the word of the Lord every morning when he would walk his dog. A couple months into that routine, he came to my buddy Jonathan and said, my life has been forever changed. Jonathan said, why? What have you done? He said, I'm just listening to God's word every day and it's changing everything. And Jonathan said that hard roofer, 73-year-old man sits on the second row every service and just weeps. Just balls his eyes out. Why does that happen? Because the word of the Lord changes the way we see everything. And the way we see everybody. And the way we see our role in their story. That the nameless person would just fulfill our moment in their story, pointing them to Jesus. Loving one person at a time. And pointing them to the God who loves them regardless of who they are or where they're from.